Well, I've never had an introduction quite like that. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you to Leslie England for helping us with that skit. Uh, she is not uh, with us this morning. She is in, uh, in route to be with uh, her daughter, Jen, uh, who will be probably having surgery soon. But we appreciate Leslie uh, getting that skit to us. And uh, I guess uh, you might have noted the familiar, here, here's, uh, uh, here's Kevin, uh, here, here's Johnny is where that goes back to, the Tonight Show, and uh, I guess a similarity between me and uh, Johnny Carson this morning, he was the host of the Tonight Show, and I guess I'll be uh, your host here this morning as uh, we get into God's Word and share the good news of Christmas. One difference between me and Johnny Carson this morning, Johnny Carson was the star of the Tonight Show, and Jesus Christ is the star of Second Baptist Church, amen? So, uh, yeah. But thank you for tuning in this morning as uh, we, we talk about the good news that Christ has been born and all that uh, he came to do through his, uh, his mission and coming here to earth. We're in a Sunday morning sermon series entitled God With Us. And during this Sunday morning series, uh, we're looking at how God's promise was fulfilled to send a Messiah, to send a Savior. And that promise goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And that's why we're here to celebrate this morning, because God has fulfilled His promise. Jesus has come. And as we gather to celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the birthday of the King. I, I love the story about a little boy that was sitting around after a Christmas morning, presents had been opened, and his grandpa said to him, uh, Grandson, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? And he replied in such deep wisdom. He said, No, Grandpa, I didn't get everything I wanted, but that's okay because it's not my birthday. This young man knew whose birthday that it was and why we celebrate and why we give gifts. It's because we're remembering the greatest gift that's ever been given, and that's the gift of God's Son, Jesus, who came on that first Christmas. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to get started this morning. So go ahead, if you have a Bible, and turn to Genesis chapter 3. This is kind of a continuation of where we were two Sundays ago as we looked, again, all the way back to the first book of the Bible and the first promise that a Messiah would come. You remember Genesis chapter 3, and we'll look beginning in verses 1 through 7, is the account of creation. It's the account of, 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 of Adam and of Eve and, and the first sin. This is the section of Genesis that we're in. And we know that Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect garden, a sin-free garden. And they were given a choice. They were given a choice to obey God, to trust God, or to disobey God, to not trust God. We know that they were told there was one tree that they could not partake of. Certainly it was a test. And it was a test that they failed as the enemy, the devil, already a fallen angel at this point in time, sneaks into the garden and successfully leads Adam and Eve to doubt the word of God, to doubt that the creator who made them can be trusted. And that's where we begin this morning, Genesis chapter 3. And we're just going to read verses 1 through 7. 
The Bible says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now we'll stop right there. We've walked through this text and through this passage. And and I just really want to start off with the review. And the review is this. We know that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they did what God told them not to do, death entered the world. Now, I believe that the death that God spoke of about the day that they ate of the fruit was spiritual death, that in that moment that, that, that they per, per, uh, had partaken of that fruit, spirit, they were spiritually dead. Now, physical death entered the world and eventually would catch up with Adam and Eve, and it catches up with every one of us. But, but death and destruction and curses and a messed up planet, a messed up world, entered in through that sin. We see, if you look in your Bible as we move forward, there were a number of curses. This is not an exhaustive list, but a number of curses that were handed out upon Adam, upon Eve, upon mankind. We know that there would be pain now here on the earth because of sin. Childbearing is an example of that. We know that what would have been refreshing and carefree, work, working the ground, would now be frustrating. It would now be difficult. And when Adam and Eve sinned, a curse was brought into the world. Uh, Adam uh, stepped up to the plate, as I said, and, and he struck out. He was given a test. He stepped up to the plate and he struck out. And when he did, death and destruction and suffering and, and every tear that we shed entered the world because of Adam and Eve's sin. And that's why this morning, I want you to understand, that's why the world is not a perfect place. The world is messed up. And that's why that good people suffer. That, that even good people, that even God's people, cannot escape the curse here upon this planet. It answers the question as to why bad things happen to good people. This answers the question why bad things even happen to God's people. Because we live on a cursed planet. And we all will, will face an experience where we're reminded how messed up the world is. How sin has so messed up the world. Our eight-year-old son, Connor, got a reminder of that this week. And uh, let out an exclamation noting how messed up the world was for him, especially in that moment. Uh, Connor had gotten in a little bit of trouble at home, and so he had to go to timeout. 
And so he was placed in timeout by Jessica, uh, which is an unpleasant experience. We know that part of the reason why uh, timeout can be effective is, is that it's, a, it's an attention getter. Kids don't like just sitting in one spot all the time for a long time. And so he was disappointed. He was upset about it. And so as he was placed in timeout, uh, Jessica heard him shout out from the other end of the house. Connor, our eight-year-old son, shouts out, there is no peace on earth. <laughs> to which Jessica reminded him, um, no, <laughs> especially not when you get out of line. Amen. When you do things you shouldn't be doing, you're not going to experience that peace. But what a moment that was, a humorous moment uh, of a child recognizing the war, kind of the war here on earth. That, that there's suffering around, there's heartache all around, there's pain all around, there's loss all around. And I just want you to understand this morning that it happened because of that first sin. Now, I want us to understand this as well. The Bible, and this is going to uh, really, really uh, upset some of our men maybe, going to take some of the power out of your debates on whose fault it was, Adam or Eve. I mean, that's a raging debate. It, huh? Whose fault was it, Adam or Eve? The guys will want to say, well, well, Eve took of the fruit first, and the Bible says that she handed it to Adam. Isn't it Eve's fault? And the Bible says, no. Debate settled. The Bible, which should drive our worldview and what we believe about truth, says no, it was not Eve's fault. Now, they both certainly were to blame because they disobeyed God. But the Bible holds Adam primarily responsible for this sin. If you're a note taker and want to take some notes, then uh, you might take down this note. 1 Corinthians 15 21 through 22 and verse 45. It'll be on the screen here for you, so you don't have to turn real quick. The Bible says that for since death came through, what's it say, church? A man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in who? Adam. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, who was who, church? Jesus. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. And it's all throughout Scripture that Adam is primarily responsible for the fall. The prophet Hosea in Hosea 6 and 7, uh, comparing Adam with Israel, says, Like Adam, Israel has broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to the Lord. Uh, Romans 5, 12, and 14 says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did. And so we might ask the question, well, if, if Eve was the first one to partake of the tree, the fruit that God said not to, if she was the first one and, and actually handed one to Adam, um, why is Adam at fault? Well, it's because the Bible teaches that Adam was formed first. And if you'll go back to Genesis chapter 2, you'll see that Adam received this command directly from God. 
We don't know that Eve received this command directly from God. We don't know that she didn't. Perhaps God also, after he made Eve, followed up and told her the command. But it's likely that Adam got the command, he delivered it to Eve, and then God called Adam to be spiritual leader of his family. That he'd been put in a place where he knew what was right and he knew what was wrong. And instead of stepping to the plate and saying, no, 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 Eve, we're not to eat of that tree. God said not to and I trust him and I put my faith in him. Adam was passive. And Adam received the fruit and with Eve took it. And in that moment, a curse entered the world. Death came into the world. Every bad thing that would ever happen entered the world. And it would have remained that way forever. And every one of us would have been cut off from God for, for life and for all eternity Except that we serve a God who loves the people he made. Somebody say amen this morning. And in that garden, God comes pursuing Adam and Eve. In that garden, he comes after them. But in that garden, verse 21, if you're in Genesis 3. In, in that garden, verse 21, the Bible says the Lord God, while Adam and Eve, are, are, they recognize their nakedness, which I believe was an indication of a spiritual nakedness before God. They recognized they were uncovered spiritually before God. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And so God initiates covering them by his own doing, by his work, which is the only way we can truly be covered before him. And then church, here's what's beautiful. What's beautiful is that those animals, those innocent animals who had nothing to do with Adam and Eve's sin, those innocent animals died so that Adam and Eve could be covered. Church, do you see a picture of Jesus Christ this morning? Somebody say yes. That in the garden there's a picture of Jesus. Whom John the Baptist says would be the Lamb of God. Who would take away the sin of the world. And what I love, what gets me excited this morning is how, again, where Adam messed up. Where Adam stepped up to the plate and struck out. Jesus steps to the plate and hits a grand slam home run. Amen? Jesus comes and is obedient... He successfully trusts his father in every decision he faced, every temptation he faced. He does the right thing and he chooses righteousness and he chooses to trust his father. And so Jesus comes and lives an obedient life and through that becomes a substitute for Adam and for Eve and for anyone who will trust in him this morning. Jesus, yeah, give him praise. Jesus steps to the plate for me and for you as a pinch hitter when we would have struck out and delivers the Grand Slam home run to win the game. The Bible speaks of this obedience of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, if you have a Bible with you, part of this will be on the screen, I believe. Hebrews chapter 10, speaking of the law and of grace and the coming of Christ, says this. The law is only, verse 1, Hebrews 10 and 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Not the realities themselves. 
for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices, these are the animal sacrifices, by the way. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ, notice this, this is on the screen. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is the Son speaking to the Father. This is beautiful. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And this is Jesus speaking of his own willingness to come and be our sacrifice. Verse 7. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. This is Jesus speaking to his Father. And his willingness to come and do what? What's that say? To do the will of God. See, Jesus came on a rescue mission. He came to clean up what Adam messed up. He came to reverse the curse. And and, and our response is to say, thank you, Lord. I'll take your rescue. I'll take your salvation. And, And thank you, God, for giving us The most beautiful story this world has ever heard. The story of Jesus coming to redeem us. Amen. It's the most beautiful story in all the world. And if you don't think it is, it's because you've become way too familiar with it. If you don't think it's the most beautiful story in the world, it's because you've become way too familiar with it. You've heard it maybe too many times. I'll never forget... When I was um, sharing a message in eastern Kentucky and, and, and thought that I might be sharing the Christmas story with someone who either hadn't heard it or hadn't heard it very much. We were on a mission trip in my last church and we were a part of helping parent, uh, unfortunate, less fortunate, uh, less fortunate parents shop for children and children shop for parents and, and working through a, a mission there, maybe giving families their only opportunity to, to maybe have a gift under the tree or, or something for Christmas. And I'll never forget, my, my job, I was doing a lesson for the kids, okay? The Christmas story for the kids. And then after the story, they would go shop for their parents. And I'll never forget, uh, they, they came in, they sat down, bunch of kids, but a few adults had made their way in. And I was sharing, I spent my time sharing the Christmas story and including everything that I could. And Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and Jesus coming and why he came and what the purpose was. And then I wrapped up my message. I finished my message and I said, all right, well that's all that I have for now. It's time for you all to be dismissed. And about somewhere in there, a man in about his 40s interrupted me. As I was saying, I'm finished with my message. A man in his 40s out loud interrupted me and he said, Hold on, preacher. Keep going. This is getting good. Hold on, preacher. Keep going. This is getting good. And I about passed out. (laughs) Because I've never finished a sermon all my life and had people wanting more. (laughs) 
amen preachers in the house? I mean, I'd never all my life finished up a sermon and, and had people wanting more. I've seen this before. I've had people wanting less, amen. Uh, it's like the preacher who was known for being long-winded, and uh, he was at their Christmas Eve service, and he was starting another long-winded sermon. It was snowing outside, and the lights were flickering, and so the lights went out for a moment, and they were scrambling to get candles, and he'd just been a few minutes into his sermon, and uh, so they're getting candles, and all of a sudden the lights come back on, but the preacher was kind of discombobulated, and so the preacher stands back up, and he says, okay, we got our lights back on. Uh, he said, now church, you all tell me, I kind of lost my place in my sermon, you all tell me where I was. One of his senior deacons stood up from the back and said, you were right near the end, preacher. <laughs> well, I'd never had this happen before, and so I just said, stick around, I'll be doing more rotations. And I think he stuck around for several rotations, listening to the Christmas story. And when I was finished... I got a chance to sit down with this man and he gave his heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ and asked him to save him. Somebody maybe that hadn't heard the story before or maybe hadn't heard it that many times. See church, it's, it's the greatest story that's ever been told. And the greatest thing about the story, it's true. It all happened. I everything that happened or everything that's written in the, in the Word of God, it, it happened. And, and Jesus came to be obedient. In fact, if you'll turn, we'll close with this. If you'll turn, turn with me to the New Testament. I want, you to, I want you to look at a couple of what we call our Christmas passages. Uh, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to close with this. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20 and, and 21. What I want you to see, when you, when you look over and you see, you see this manger... When you think about the Christmas passages of God coming and putting on flesh and being born as a baby, I, I want you to recognize that He's here on a rescue mission. He's here to, be, he's here to do more than be born. He came, listen, He came to die. He came to die. And we have to move past the manger. You've got to move past the manger. And even at Christmas time, yes, you have to go to the cross. Even at Christmas time, you have to go to the cross. Matthew 1, 20 and 21. This is Joseph and, and, and Mary and a dream given to Joseph. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. This was at a time when he, he thinks Mary's been unfaithful because she's with child and he knows it's not his child. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He came to die. Luke chapter 2, if you'll turn over to Luke chapter 2 once again. Luke chapter 2 and 11. The Bible says, today in the town of David, a, what church? You know this. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I love Galatians chapter 3 and 13, which says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus never sinned, 
Jesus did not deserve to have it said of him that he was cursed when he hung on that cross or that tree. He did that for you and he did that for me because God loves you and God loves me so very much. His coming to be born as a baby was through obedience. And all throughout his ministry, just quickly, all throughout his ministry, we see Jesus obeying his Father. We, we see Jesus saying yes to God's, to the Father's will for him on earth. We see him stand up in the Gospels to the devil. The devil tried to tempt Jesus to use his power for his own gain and for his own earthly glory. And three times Jesus says to the devil, it is written, quoting the word of God, trusting the Father's word. We, we see uh, Jesus standing up to Peter, one of his disciples, who when Jesus started talking about going to the cross, Peter said, no way, that's never going to happen. You're not going to go to the cross. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you do not savor the things of God or things of the Father. We see Jesus on the cross we see Jesus hanging on the cross with those around him saying, If you are really the Son of God, come down from that cross. And we see Jesus obeying the Father's plan, heaven's plan, and remaining on that cross. And church, aren't you thankful he did not come down from that cross? But that he stayed on it for you and me and paid the price for our sin. And the question this morning as we close is this. What kind of life are you going to live? What kind of life are we going to live? Is it going to be one of trusting the word of God? Are we going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and trust the word of God? Or are we going to live a life of doubting God like Adam? Are we going to live more like Adam or live more like Christ? It's a struggle that we face each and every day. It's a temptation that we face each and every day. Who am I going to trust? Who am I going to allow to have access to my heart? Is God going to have access to my heart? Am I going to obey Him no matter what it costs me? No matter how difficult it is? Uh, Beth Moore recently shared at a, at a conference, and this is, it's made its way to a lot of uh, pastors through, uh, I get an email, a, a ministry email uh, each week, and I, I got that through this uh, ministry email where Beth Moore had recently shared, I, I believe, a little battle going on in her grandson's heart that happens in every one of our hearts. Uh, her, her little grandson, Jackson, uh, was talking with uh, Grandpa uh, about uh, asking Jesus into your heart. And he's four, he's four years old and trying to understand this concept and, and understanding what it means to ask Jesus into your heart. And so this little four-year-old Jackson replied to the conversation, you know, have you thought about asking Jesus into your heart? Do you have Jesus in your heart? Uh, little Jackson said what probably a lot of us sometimes wrestle with and might express where we're at uh, at times. He says, he says uh-uh, I don't want anybody in, in my heart but myself. <laughs> I don't want anybody in my heart but myself. And what a, what a, what a picture that is of that wrestling with lordship right church because you wouldn't say that out loud as an adult you wouldn't say that out loud right that's not very christian like i don't want anybody in my heart but myself but every time that we choose sin over obedience then we're saying jesus i don't want you in that part of my heart every time that i listen anywhere i see sin in my life 
anywhere, I see, anywhere you see sin in your life, it's because you don't trust God in that area of your life. If you trusted God in that area of your life, that sin would not be there. I believe that distrust and, and not giving God access to all of our heart lies at the root of all of our sin and all of our disobedience. I just want to say as we close this morning, you can trust your Father in heaven. You can trust your Father in heaven. He loves you. He gave the greatest gift that's ever been given, the gift of His Son. And He promised He would. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And that promise was fulfilled when that baby was born in that manger. And that baby grew up. And that baby lived a perfect life. As an adult, he always said yes to the Father's will. And then he became a perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine when he went to that cross. And my friends, he stepped up to the plate and he delivered a grand slam where Adam struck out and where we struck, strike out. You can trust God this Christmas. No matter what you're going through, you can trust God this Christmas. I had an opportunity to go to the Operation Christmas Child mission trip and came back with a story that touched my heart on a deep level and just reminded me that God can be trusted. It was during our orientation time. The lady who gave us the orientation kind of walked us through um, a powerful story of God's provision and God taking care of our needs. He knows our needs and knows how to take care of our needs. She shared with us a story about how she had been on the, on the inspection line uh, many years ago. And, and all that we do there is we just, we just make sure there's nothing, they call it inappropriate. The things they say you can't put in the box, we just have to make sure it's not in there. So uh, we just kind of look through and make sure. And she was on the line and she saw that one of the boxes only had one shoe in that box. It kind of threw her for a loop a little bit. Um, and so she kind of checked uh, with the leader over that line and said there's only one shoe in here and they really try they do an incredible job of, of what they call protecting the integrity of that box and so they said one shoe's in it we're going to trust God and we're going to send it with just one shoe well some some years later they found out that that shoe uh, that box with that one shoe on it it went into a place where there was a little girl and, and she got that box. And she had lost one of her legs on, in a landmine. And only had one, one leg. And that one shoe was the perfect shoe for that one foot that she had. My friends, our God knows what he's doing. He knew what he was doing in her life. And he knows what he's doing in your life. You can trust him. Would you believe in him? Would you give your heart to him? Would you recommit to obedience this, this Christmas? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time to just celebrate Christmas and your coming to earth. We thank you so much, Lord, for the obedience, Jesus, that uh, you, you brought through your life. How you did step up to the plate and you did deliver a Grand Slam home run where Adam struck out. Lord, I pray that every one of us will make the decision to be in Christ and to allow, allow you full access to our heart. Uh, Lord, to not, 
to not hold on to any area of our heart where we say, well, that's, that's only my spot, God. That's not, that's not for you. I don't want you in this pocket of my heart. But I pray, God, full surrender to your plan and your will for our life. Lord, if there be one that's lost this morning, who's never trusted in you to forgive them of their sins, my urgent prayer, my plea, and the plea of so many here this morning is that they would not leave lost. They would not leave wondering where they'd spend eternity and not knowing that heaven's their home. And Lord, we thank you that we can be forgiven and freed from death and hell and the grave through you. Lord, save souls this morning. Bring us to a place of recommitment this morning. Maybe for some, Lord, it's just a, it's the step of obedience. Maybe you've been calling them to make Second Baptist their church home. And it's just simple obedience to trust in you and to say yes to you and your plan. Whatever it is this morning, God, meet us where we're at and take us where you want us to go. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our invitation time. It's an opportunity for you to respond to the word of God to give your life to Jesus or to recommit your life to Jesus or to join with this church body. If the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart, all that I would ask, just listen, obey, and do what he's calling you to do. As we stand this morning, you come if God's speaking to you.